Forbes magazine, um, Liz Ryan, she's a consultant, and she talks about this reality where we, um, um, she, she says that, that companies and employers don't need to strive to help their, their employees find a sense of happiness on the job. It's not about happiness. It's really about connecting to a greater mission. And so she gives us this kind of an, an example of a mission-driven person and the difference between being a happy employee and being mission-driven. She says this, let's imagine a person completely immersed in his or her work. We'll use the greatest violin maker in the world as our example. I don't know who makes the greatest violins in the world, but we'll imagine that it's an Italian violin maker named Franco. And that Franco has a studio where 15 or 20 apprentice and journeyman violin makers work alongside Franco, making the most exquisite violins in the world. Is Franco happy? He is alternatively ecstatic, frustrated, transported, confused, exhausted, and lost in the zone. He and his work are inextricably uh, are, his work are inextricable from one another. No one would say about Franco or his employees they're happy. Instead, people in Franco's town would say those guys live and breathe violins and people around the world rejoice. I don't know if you capture the difference there, but I, I can sense it in my own life and just in the ministry. Uh, it's not always about happiness, but it's about this greater calling we connect to. And, and, and it led me to this, really the question, the bigger question I want to start with today is, is when it comes to life, the big life question is what motivates you in life? What motivates you to do life, to get up every day and to go through, you know, the same kind of routine, but to go to your job and to do all the things what is it that motivates you? I think about a professional athlete that gets traded. Think about somebody who played for the New England Patriots, right? They're the best team in, in the NFL. They won the Super Bowl. They're in their area. Let's say you play for them, and let's say this happens and happens to players all the time. They trade you from the New England Patriots to, we'll say, the Buffalo Bills or the Detroit Lions even, you know? Think about that. And, uh, and how do you... How do you um, how do you deal with that? How do you kind of process that move? You go from this winning culture here where you're in the Super Bowl almost every year to the Detroit Lions who, you know, it's, it's a kind of a losing culture. And, and how do you motivate yourselves to go play football? And I, I thought that was a really interesting way to consider it. You see, the goal has to be more than happiness because happiness isn't going to... You're not going to be very happy if you're losing. You're happy when you're winning, but you're not happy when you're losing. So how do you tap into that? For us as believers, we have a real advantage in this area. Why would you have an advantage? Because God calls us to a higher mission, a higher purpose, an eternal mission and purpose. God doesn't call you and me to happiness, does He? He calls us to holiness, to be set apart and to impact the world for Him and to show, showcase His glory. So thinking about that reality to live on mission, to carry out mission. One of the things that's a necessity for us is prayer. If, if I'm going to realize the, the life God has for me, like Paul talked about with the Ephesians the last two weeks, for this reason he prayed for them, that they would know their potential in Christ. Well, if that's going to be my reality, my experience, prayer is going to be so important. And that leads me to this question. We've been talking now for several weeks about the dynamics of prayer and the relationship between worship and prayer in our own life. And so here's the big, the big uh, really, prayer question. There's the first question. I've got to remember to click through this. Uh, what, 
motivates me to do life. But here's the big prayer question then, really, what motivates me to pray and what happens when I pray? I guess really, that's the question. What happens when I pray? When I get down on my knees, when I bow down and look up, what happens when I pray? And I think we all wrestle with this. We've talked about prayer for uh, several weeks now, but I still, if I said to you, so what happens when you pray? Uh, probably a lot of us would we'd look at each other and say, well, I'm, well, I'm not sure. How, how would I answer that question? What happens exactly when I pray? What's taking place when I pray? We said uh, in this series that God knows our requests before we bring them. So think about that reality. If God already knows what my request and my need is, then prayer is certainly not just bringing my requests to God because He already knows them. There has to be something deeper going on. Now we've learned that prayer is an avenue to peace and that prayer is also an act of worship. Those two are very clear realities anytime we pray. It's an avenue to peace, it's an act of worship, but why is it, uh, what happens when we pray? The secondary question then is what I mentioned, is why do I pray and what motivates me to pray? What motivates me to pray? If prayer is so important for my life, what can motivate me to pray? And we'll see today that when I understand what happens in prayer, that will help me motivate me to pray. When I understand really what's going on in prayer, I'll be motivated to prayer more. But think about this reality a minute. Um... When it comes to prayer, here's two statements. Do you feel like, number one, I feel like I never pray enough? Or do you feel like I have a genuine desire to pray more? Which describes you? I think it's an interesting way to think of how we process prayer. Do I think, boy, I I just feel like I never pray enough. I should be praying more. Or do you have this genuine desire, you want to pray more? I just wish I could pray more. And I think it really comes down to guilt, We pray because we have to, it's an obligation, or grace, because I want to. I want to pray. I have the desire to pray. I can tell you, God has moved me to that second one in my life. He has moved me there. I just want to pray. I just want to simply want to pray. And there's those two things, guilt and grace. And and I think the reality is, is that obligation makes us feel like I never pray enough. I just never reach the bar. I'm not spiritual enough. I don't pray enough. I should be praying more every day. Or grace, I, I pray and I just want to pray more. And, 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 and maybe I should pray more. And I have that desire to pray more even if I'm not praying as much as maybe I could or should. It's how we look at prayer. Let me give you the big idea today. And again, we're going to be looking at prayers that go below the surface, that go deeper. There are some really powerful things here we're going to see today in this Old Testament passage. And this is a long big idea because I couldn't decide, you know, really what, what, what's the real big idea to hear? And it's really all of this together. The more I understand what happens when I pray, the greater my motivation will be to pray and the longer I will be able to pray. And the longer my prayer is, the deeper my prayer will go. There's something about that, praying, praying about something for a long period of time, praying for something intensely, praying for something maybe for a long, like we did that kind of that uh, all-night prayer service again, praying for hours on end for something. Uh, our prayers can go much deeper. We're in the Old Testament here today, and we're going to look at a passage that at, at first read could, could seem kind of confusing, could be like, well, what's this all mean? Uh, but I think when we, when we unpack it and break it down, it'll be very compelling, very comforting, very insightful. 
and we will see some of the very uh, some of the reasons to be motivated in prayer. In fact, one of the greatest motivations for prayer, we will see it in today's text. I think one of our big issues in life is that we get tired in prayer and we give up and we give out and, and we just don't we just we just don't persist in prayer the way that we need to. And the longer we pray, the, the deeper our prayers will go. We're looking today in Daniel. Uh, the book of Daniel, the life story of Daniel. Let me give you a quick rundown on his life so you understand his life. When Daniel was a teenager, he was taken captive. Uh, God said that one day Israel would be taken captive by Babylon and they'd be captive there, prisoners in Babylon in essence, for 70 years. So as a teenager, Daniel is taken captive along with his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember their story? And, um, and a bunch of other teens... And these teens were the brightest of the bright and the smartest of the smart. They're taken captive. They live in the king's palace. And they are to learn the Chaldean language and the culture of, of, uh, of Babylon and serve the king. And, and so they're put in this pretty prestigious situation. Fast forward till Daniel 6. Daniel has risen to such prominence in his life in his relationship with King Darius, he has so much of God's favor. Um, he's one of these 120 princes. And the other, these other princes that serve in the government there are envious of Daniel. And so that's why Daniel ends up in a lion's den. They use the fact that Daniel prays every day faithfully. He's a man of prayer. They use that uh, to get him tossed into a lion's den. You can read the story if you want to know how that unfolds. He ends up in a lion's den all night, survives the lion's den, lives to tell about it. And um, as he comes out of that lion's den, he, he comes out and uh, he becomes a leader in the Babylonian government. He's a leader in the Babylonian government. And at this point now, the Israelites are, are, are returning back home. Seventy years are up. They're returning back to Israel. This captivity is over. But Daniel stays there in Babylon where he can be really a greater advocate for the Jewish people at that point. So he stays there. He's, by now, he's in his probably his 80s, getting uh, on up there in year in his life and he's having visions in these latter years today in Daniel 10 I think I read he's about 80 probably here somewhere is in his 80s having these visions in his latter years that's his life story and we come to Daniel chapter 10 today and we'll start in verse 1 and here's what it said in the third year of Cyrus king of Persia a word was revealed to Daniel who was named uh, Belshazzar and the word was true, and it was a great conflict, or it was a great war, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Basically, here is what Daniel sees in this verse. He has a vision of the tribulation period. That's what Daniel has a vision of. And uh, it's a pretty gripping vision. If you or I had this vision, if we saw the tribulation period... Uh, we might not survive it. I don't know. Daniel survives it, but it's a pretty intense vision. And, and, and what the tribulation period is, if you don't know, Christ is going to take all of us off the earth, all of us believers, all that are in the body of Christ, and then <clears throat> everybody left. There'll be three and a half years of, of it'll be false peace. One, rule, one, world rule, one world rule, the Antichrist rises up. There's false peace for three and a half years. And then after that three and a half years, literally... It gets really bad on earth. And there's a tribulation time like the world has never seen. And it's going to really affect the Jewish people in particular. And that's what Daniel sees here. And so Daniel is pretty struck by this vision. And um, 
what is going on here. Uh, we go on to chapter, or, uh, chapter 10, verse 2 and 3. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. And so here we see that David's response to this is that David prays and mourns for three weeks. This is, like I said, it's an intense vision. And what he sees here is really hard to deal with. It is really, really hard to deal with. And um, our focus this morning is on Daniel's prayer and God's response to that prayer. And here's the thing. As we understand what is going on when we pray, it will help motivate us as we pray. We'll be motivated. And so we're going to see six things today, six things in the text today, six motivational reasons why we need to pray. And we, we need to pray some more. And we need to keep on praying. How long did Daniel pray here? 21 days. He mourned and prayed for 21 days. And we're going to see uh, the significance of praying about something so intensely and so passionately. What's going on then? Here's a, what happens when we pray. First thing, real simple. We are processing and surrendering our emotions. That's just the most basic thing going on. We are processing and surrendering our emotions. Now, this might not describe every prayer, but I would say it describes most prayers. And I would say that Daniel here is filled with a variety of emotions. A variety of emotions are consuming Daniel here. Fear and worry and doubt and uncertainty and anger and despair and frustration and most notably pain. Okay, picture Daniel's situation. They've just spent 70 years in exile as God promised them. Think about this, that 70 years it spanned all of Daniel's life from a teenager till he's 80. They've been in captivity in Babylon. He has prospered and been very successful and, and received God's favor in the kingdom there. 70 years up, people are returning home. They're getting their freedom back. Daniel sees this vision. And Daniel understood the vision to a degree. He knew it was a great war and a great conflict. It involved Israel, but he didn't know all the details. And one detail he didn't know is when is this taking place? And so he could have looked at something that was thousands of years in the future because this tribulation is thousands of years in the future from when Daniel sees this vision. He could have thought it's an imminent threat, an imminent reality. We just got out of captivity and now we're going into this. And so we come to this prayer and we see Daniel surrendering, processing his emotions and that's exactly what we do in prayer. We talked a couple weeks ago about, about getting away from emotionally driven, self-centered prayer to spiritually grounded, God-centered prayer. That's not what this is here. When we pray, we bring our emotions to God. We bring our emotions to God and we bring our emotions so those emotions don't control us, so they don't rule our life. And we come and we process those emotions. Remember this one? Philippians 4 again, do not be anxious about anything. Anything that's got you anxious, bring it to God. But in everything, again, everything, anything and everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so we come to God. If you have anxiety, don't fret it. Come to God, trade in your, uh, trade in your anxiety for his peace. If you have despair, don't fret it. Bring it to, to prayer in God and trade in your despair for his hope. If you have doubt, don't fret it. Bring it to God in prayer and trade it in for his assurance. And I think those are great trades. When I can trade in my doubt for his assurance, my, my, uh, my fear for his confidence, 
Whatever it is that's ruling my life, when I can swap those things, those are quite the trades. That is what's going on in prayer. And don't miss this. How long does Daniel pray? 21 days. And 21 days in, and I'm not sure that Daniel yet has peace. It takes time sometimes to process and surrender our emotions and, and to get the peace and to get the hope that we so desperately want. So we are persistent in prayer and we pray until that peace, till that hope, till that assurance comes. It will take time. First lesson. Okay, let's read on in the story. Let's see a second motivational thing here. Just know that I can surrender my emotions to God's Spirit. I can surrender any of my emotions to God's Spirit. He will take my fear and give me His confidence. He'll take my peace or my anxiety and give me His peace. I can do that. Okay, reading on verses 4 and 5. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl. Listen to this description. His body was like beryl. His face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Can you imagine? He, he, he speaks and it's like there's a multitude speaking. His body was like beryl. That's like a, like a gemstone. So quite the vision of this person here. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. We are being humbled. When we, what's going on when we pray? We're being humbled. When we're genuinely praying to God, we are just being humbled. And here is Daniel, who is just totally brought to his knees. He sees this amazing and yet terrifying vision. Now, we read that great description of that person. And who is that? Well, some think it could be Christ. Others say it can't be Christ because this person asks for angelic help, and so it couldn't be Christ. doesn't really matter who it is. It's just this amazing vision. It's someone sent from God. And, um, but here's what's really going on. Daniel's prayers were deep, and they wiped him out. Daniel prayed these really deep prayers, and these prayers just totally wiped him out. I, I, I look at this as being Im, Im, drained physically and emotionally and mentally. He is just wiped out. He falls on his face before God. He is exhaustedly spent. That is some pretty deep prayer and that's a pretty deep vision that he sees from God. Think about how that affects him, how he is humbled at this point. Again, note what it says in the text. I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. No strength. He had no strength at all. Then I fell on my face in deep in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Pretty intense. The reality is, it's okay when we're humbled because the more we are humbled, the higher God is exalted. Remember, we keep talking in this series that the higher we exalt God, the deeper our prayers will go. The higher we exalt God, the deeper our prayers will go. They go below the surface to the real issues we are facing the things we don't want to deal with, but God takes us there and says, no, we're going to deal with this deeper issue. 
But anyway, Daniel has this really intense uh, prayer time, this really intense vision. He sees things from God in prayer that, that, that the reality is can be scary. Sometimes prayer can be so deep, prayer is so deep that it can be scary. We can be scared by our prayers. We start to see where our prayers are taking us, we start to see where our prayers are going. God starts to show us things in prayer that we don't want to see, things about ourselves, things about our life, about our situation. And we see these things, and in the context here, there are people with Daniel who don't necessarily see the vision, but they're pretty freaked out by it, and they run, and they run, and I think sometimes when we get into prayer, we can get to places in our prayer life, our relationship with God, and He starts to work in our life, and we start to say, I don't want to see that, and we can run. We can, we can kind of abandon prayer when we, we can kind of run. We can kind of look for fleshly strategies and solutions to our problems, Sometimes we start to sense the divide in our prayers between what I want and God's will. What I want in prayer, what I'm praying for, what I'm asking for, and what I think is the right solution, and God says, no, this is what I think the right solution is. What happens in prayer when we are challenged to forgive someone? What happens when we're challenged in prayer to step out of our comfort zone in some way? What happens when we're challenged in our prayer and we're confronted with some area of our personal life that we don't want to really face? What happens when in our prayer we are challenged to sacrifice our wants for His will? That's really the reality. Sometimes God takes us to uncomfortable places in prayer to help us reach, again, our potential in Christ. Remember Paul praying for the Ephesians for this reason because of your potential, because of all the responsibility you have and the potential you have and all these spiritual blessings. I mean, I've given you all of these spiritual blessings, all that you can become, all that that I can do in you. Because of all that, I'm just praying that you would reach your potential. And sometimes God takes us to those places that are uncomfortable so we can realize our truest potential. To realize our fullest potential in Christ, we have to be humbled and God has to be exalted. I have to come to the end of myself because when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Now, let me tell you today, I don't think God today gives us visions like He gave to Daniel. I'm not going to say He never. I'll put God in a box like that, but I just don't think that's the norm What God does today is He uses His Word. And as you pray and as you open His Word and read His Word, He will speak to you from His Word. And He will take you to some uncomfortable places and He will say, there's an issue you need to deal with in your life. Even today, what might that issue be that you need to deal with in your life that you don't want to deal with? Here's the thing. God is your Father. He loves you like no one else and you can trust Him. I've often pictured this, like in our, in our heart, in our life, we have all these rooms and there's just like, we all have a closet or two. And we go to those closets and we stuff all the things in there, all those issues, all those things we don't want to look at, all those things we don't want to deal with, all of those hurts that have been done to us, all those injustices, all of the, you know, whatever it is, all those secret things and we just stuff them there and we shut the door and we don't want to look at them. And God comes along sometimes in these deeper prayers and starts to, His glory, we, we get confronted with His glory and His holiness. And He starts to prompt us to open that door and clean it out for His glory. Open that closet and clean out that closet for His glory. 
Will you let him humble you and do that? Great lesson here. Put this on your fridge this week. Tweet this out if you want. It's really a simple thing. Pray till you come to the end of yourself. That's Daniel. He prays and he has this vision and he just comes to the end of himself. And he doesn't abandon the prayer. He doesn't run from the vision. But he, let, he processes it. Pray till you come to the end of yourself. That is some deeper and some humbling prayer. Chapter 10, verse 10. Moving on. And behold, a hand touched me. So here's Daniel, he's on his face, he's wiped out, he's had this prayer, he's totally wiped out. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, this being, probably this angel said, Oh Daniel, man greatly loved. Just remember, you're you're loved by God. He loves you more than you could imagine. Greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So here's a little bit of peace for uh, Daniel. Daniel, this is, this is uh, for the latter days. This is for days yet to come. This is out there. This isn't going to be real soon. This is a distant prophecy. And he's going to give Daniel some peace there in this answer as Daniel is fretting in prayer. What's going on when we pray? Well, I'll tell you this. God is, uh, heaven's angels are fighting for us. When we pray, heaven's angels are fighting for us. And don't discount this and don't think, oh, this is just some dispensational thing that happened in the Old Testament, doesn't happen today. No, I believe it happens today. We are told repeatedly, Paul dealt with it, Paul shares with us, there is an unseen spiritual realm all around us. But, but think about Elijah's example. Remember Elijah? Remember his story? Elijah has a servant. And, and uh, basically Elijah was telling the king of Israel at this time that the king of Amram, uh, he was kind of disclosing to the king of Israel the king of Amram's intentions to do harm to the king of Israel. And so the king of Amram's getting frustrated because somehow the king of Israel always is a step ahead of him. And so... Uh, the king of Amram finds out it's the prophet Isaiah or the prophet uh, Elijah that's giving away your secrets. And so the king of Amram brings a whole army and he comes to take uh, Elijah. And uh, so Elijah's servant wakes up the next morning and sees this vast army out there and he freaks out and he kind of wets his pants and he's like, oh, we're in trouble. He goes to Isaiah and says, Isaiah, we're, or, excuse me, Elijah, we're in serious trouble. <clears throat> And Elijah prays that God would open this servant's eyes. And when God opens the servant's eyes, what does the servant see? He sees a vast angelic army all around them, surrounding them. This is how I fight my battles. I might feel like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. 
There's a huge army that surrounds us, the angelic army that surrounds us and fights our battles for us. And they go on to, to, to solve that problem in a very creative and a, a very fascinating way as God often does. That's Elijah's example. Paul's testimony for us is found, though, in the scriptures. Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places colossians 1 he christ is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him there is a spiritual realm around us we are often not aware of we just don't see it and christ created it all he's ruler of all of it Although Satan is identified as the prince of the power of this world for today, but his time is limited. But we wrestle, Paul said, not against flesh and blood, but against these unseen enemies. That's the reality. So much of the time, the material problem or the physical battle we're facing is really a spiritual issue. We need to know that. And what is the battle plan? We saw it last week right there in Ephesians. What's the battle plan? What does Paul tell us to do? Stand. That's the battle plan. Why do we stand? Because we have, we have the, 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 the forces of heaven fighting for us. And when we stand, what, what's the two things we said last week we can do when we stand? When we stand, we can pray and we can worship. And, and, and so much of the battles we face, it's, it's found in prayer. and It's found in worship. And, and letting God fight the battle for us in that unseen realm. I like how one person said it, prayer is more than a therapeutic activity. There is actual spiritual war taking place. doesn't mean prayer isn't therapeutic and doesn't help us process our emotions. It does. But there is something going on in prayer that we are just not aware of. We just can't see it. Here's what Billy Graham said. Christians should never fail to sense the operation of angelic glory. It forever eclipses the world of demonic powers as the sun does a candle's light. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If God is for us, who can be against us? There is an army out there that fights on our behalf and it's like the sun versus the candle. It's an amazing reality. When we pray... God's angels are fighting for us. And while we might rightfully believe in a spiritual enemy, we don't have to be afraid of that spiritual enemy because God's fighting for us. And then we have God's promise. Look at this back in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Psalms 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. God is for you, he's not against you, and he sends his angels to fight on your behalf. And all this does is elevate the importance. Think about this. All this does, we think about the spiritual realm out there, all this does is, is really reinforce that our issues are often not material or not physical or not even emotional. They're spiritual issues that we're fighting in an unseen realm. And I wonder what issue in your life you are dealing with, struggling with, and you need to realize that at its core, it is not material, physical, emotional, intellectual, maybe not even relational. It is indeed spiritual. Maybe it is even a faith issue, which as we know is all about processing that 
which we cannot see. Titus read this earlier. I was thinking about this verse in context of what we're talking about here. 2 Corinthians 4, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are see- unseen are eternal. And there's just, the, there is an unseen reality out there. We live for glory. We live for that unseen reality, for our eternal reward. But there's an unseen world where spiritual battles are being fought. Verse 15, Daniel says, When he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him, Who stood before me? O my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. When we pray, the Holy Spirit, and this is number four, the Holy Spirit is praying for us and praying with us. When you pray, the Holy Spirit is praying for us and with us. And I think there's a vivid imagery here that that Daniel comes, he can't even respond, he's mute. He just can't even talk at this point. He's come to the end of himself. He can hardly breathe. What what imagery here is going on in this intense prayer and this intense vision that Daniel has seen? When we pray, God sends his angels to fight on our behalf, but he also sends his spirit to pray on our behalf. We talked last week about King Hezekiah, right? King Hezekiah went to Isaiah, said, Isaiah, will you pray for me? There's a serious issue. Will you pray for me and for my people? And we talk about, sometimes we do that. We go find someone and we ask them to pray for us. You might ask me to pray for you. I might ask you to pray for me. That's well and good and we should do that. But don't lose sight of the fact that you know what? The Holy Spirit prays for us as well. Speaks and prays for us on our behalf. And really what's going on here is a picture of what's a reality in today's dispensation. This was not the reality in the Old Testament. They did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them and praying for them all the time like we do. I love this verse again. We've looked at it a few times. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we are weak. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings to Deep for words. When we're praying those deep prayers, when we're praying intense prayers, when we just can't find the words to say what we need to say, the Holy Spirit speaks up and prays for us. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to what? The will of God. Not according to your wants. These are the deeper prayers where we get past what I want to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are the called according to His, those who are called according to His purpose. What an amazing thing. When we can't find the words to pray, the Holy Spirit can. And He helps us pray those deeper prayers. Those prayers that identify and bring about God's will. Those prayers that help us realize our fullest potential in Christ. And those prayers that cause all things to work together for for good, fulfilling God's purposes in me. That's the reality. 
One of the spiritual blessings, don't miss this, one of the spiritual blessings is the Holy Spirit's presence and activity in our life. That we have Him today and He will pray for us. He instinctively will pray for us. He will bring clarity to our prayers. He will. He simply will. That's why we talked about this. The higher we exalt God, the deeper our prayers go. And it's just the more I will surrender to God and the deeper my prayers will go and then the longer we pray, the deeper our prayers can go. Because the more I'm surrendered to God, the more that I'm just intensely crying out to God for this issue. The Holy Spirit comes along and prays with me and the deeper our prayers will go. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication in our spiritual battle. We stand and we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And He moves on our behalf. What happens when we pray? Daniel 18, 10, 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly love, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you not know I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of grace will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your Prince, when we pray, we are being strengthened, spiritually strengthened. There's just a fascinating kind of dynamic going on here. Maybe call it a paradox. I don't know if it's a paradox. It kind of is, but it's kind of just this shift. That Daniel prayed till he had no strength left in his flesh. He was wiped out physically, emotionally, mentally. He was drained. And yet, by the end of his prayer, he is strengthened in his spirit. He is spiritually strong. And I think that is so key and that is so important. Two things strengthened him, the touch of the angel and the words of the angel. And as we're in prayer and as we read God's word in prayer, his words can come and encourage us and strengthen us. God can come and touch us and strengthen us. When we pray, I believe we are spiritually strengthened. There is a strength we will find in prayer. There is a peace we will find in prayer. There is a courage and a resolve that we will find in prayer. You see, it goes back to this again, that when I am weak, then I am strong. That's that great paradox. When I come to the end of myself in prayer, then I'm really strong. And I'm really relying on the strength because, listen, God is far greater and far stronger than I am, far wiser than I am. He knows everything I'm going through. He knows the issues I'm dealing with. And no, God hasn't called me necessarily to happiness, but to a a holiness, a set-apartness, where there is true fulfillment and there is true joy and there is true satisfaction that nothing in this world can ever offer me. When I am weak, then I am strong. Don't miss the flip side of that then. That when we don't pray, what happens? We're weak. We're trusting in ourselves. We're trusting in our human fleshly strategies. And the reality is, we're still wiped out mentally and physically sometimes and emotionally. We're wiped out, and, but we're not praying and we're trusting. And we're not praying. Why? Because, well, when I pray, God starts taking me places I don't want to go and showing me things I don't want to see and asking things of me I don't want to give. 
But he loves me and he knows that if I'll just surrender those things to him, whoa, how great my life would be. What happens when I pray? Here's the bonus. Number six, the greatest motivation to pray. You want a, you want a motivation for prayer? Here it is, is that when we pray, you know what? When we pray, God answers. The God of this universe actually will answer, will actually respond to me. He will. That's an incredible thing here. Now, there's something in here. Maybe you knew this before we started the message today. Maybe you caught it as we read through it. Maybe you're not aware of it. I'm going to show you the most amazing part of this story. We read over it, and you might not have caught it. Let's go back and look at it again. Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. So there's this great assurance that this is not immediately, this is thousands of years in the future, this is not for now. And there's the answer that he wanted. Now, here's a couple of questions to process this and understand it. Daniel prayed on day one, but when did God answer him? Daniel prayed on day one, when did God answer him? He answered him on day one! That's why we just read it. It's so, so fascinating. Then the angel said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. On day one, God had an answer for Daniel. Here's your answer. Don't fret, don't worry, don't be stressed out. Here's the answer. So why did Daniel pray for 21 days? God answered immediately on day one. Why did Daniel pray for 21 days? Because of spiritual opposition. Because the angel who was dispersed with the answer for David got stopped by the king of Persia and then the king of Greece. And these are, these are referencing spiritual, demonic, angelic beings that stopped. And so here he comes with the answer to encourage Daniel and he gets stopped and he fights him for 21 days. The whole time Daniel's praying, there's a spiritual war, the angels are fighting. Eventually Michael, the archangel, who's a warrior angel, is dispersed to take care of this angel to free up the other angel to come and bring the answer to Daniel. Wow. What's happening when we pray? The angels are fighting for us. It's amazing. What happened to Daniel over 21 days? Over those 21 days, what happened to Daniel? Think about that. He prayed for 21 days. What happened? He learned persistence in his prayer life. He was spiritually strengthened. His prayers went deeper, but ultimately he was simply changed. Over 21 days, God just changed him through that prayer. God could have dispersed Michael the archangel on day one, but he didn't. And as David prayed, this angel fought, and this was a pretty intense war. And the enemy did not want to let that answer through to encourage Daniel. So finally God dispersed Michael the archangel who came, and Daniel got his answer. Pretty amazing story. And listen, this isn't in there by accident. We might say sometimes, 
you know, I'm praying and God's not answering. And why am I not getting an answer from God? What, where's the answer? And we, we might ask all kinds of questions. Maybe there's sin in my life. Maybe God's just making me wait. Maybe uh, I'm not hearing clearly from God. All of those things could be, but sometimes it could just simply be there is a spiritual war. And we need to keep persevering in prayer and that God is doing things while we persevere. He's changing us as we persevere in prayer. And that leads us to the one last big question Right? This is the question hanging out there that we got to just ask, okay, what is it? So what would have happened if Daniel had stopped praying at 20 days? Or 19 days or 18 days? After 18 days, he just got tired of praying. What if he just got tired of praying and gave up praying? He would have never got the blessing, never got the answer, never saw this vision, never got this clarity, never understood that, oh, this, is, this vision is thousands of years in the future. What happens when we pray? We are processing and surrendering our emotions. We are being humbled before a mighty and a holy God. Heaven's angels are fighting for us and the Holy Spirit is praying for us and with us. We are spiritually strengthened in prayer and God answers our prayer. And there may be things in your life that you have prayed and God has an answer. He already has the answer. And you just need to keep praying. And there's a spiritual war going on. And God has your answer. And God has that victory. And God has that solution. And God has that peace. And God has that hope. Just need to keep praying. We just need to keep on praying. I'll leave here. The more I understand what happens when I pray, the greater my motivation will be to pray and the longer I will be able to pray. And the longer my prayer is, the deeper my prayer will go. And God does some pretty amazing things below the surface in our life, opening up those closets, cleaning out those closets, showing us truths that we need to see. Father God, thank you so much for this beautiful, encouraging word today. When we pray, it makes a difference. When we pray, you do hear us, you do answer. When you pray, when we pray, you, you, you do have the Holy Spirit there to help us pray. And you do send your angels to fight on our behalf, to fight for us as we pray. And Lord, just thank you. May we find hope this week in you. As we pray, will you change us? And so I lift up each person here today, each one of us. I pray for that closet in each one of our lives today. That issue in each one of our lives, that one thing or two things that we're just you know, and you're just bringing it to our attention, saying, hey, I want to deal with this. I pray for all of us today that you would help us process that this week, pray about it, work it through, give us an answer, give us direction, give us a solution, give us victory. And whatever anyone needs today, if they need peace or they need hope, if they need joy, if they need confidence or assurance, Lord, give it uh, today as we leave here fill us with those realities as we turn to you in prayer in jesus name amen amen